HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. In case you missed it, that great food panel at General Assembly, we have it for you coming up right now. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world. It's a million listens a month. I love to say that, 150 countries. I feel like we need to start doing shows in 150 different languages. That would be so amazing. Today, we have a very special episode of Tech Bites. It is part two of the General Assembly Tech and Food Panel. We aired part one last week. It was a great event that took place in January of 2018. I moderated a panel with three women CEOs, all founders of really great food tech businesses, talking about their origin stories, their pivots, how they got their funding, along with what they see for the future, and a great Q&A session with the audience at the end. 
if you enjoyed part one last week, you will be really excited to listen to part two coming up right now with Cheryl Clements, CEO and founder of PyShell, Crystal Mobiani, CEO and founder of Bento Box, Deepti Sharma, CEO and founder of Food to Eat, on a panel at General Assembly in New York City, moderated by me, Jennifer Leitzi. Here we go with part two. Cheryl, has any of the... I feel like very recently there has been a rash of all these new payment apps. Zelly, you know, everybody's been on Venmo for a while, but every time I'm in the subway, I feel like there's a new ad for new instant payment, wire transfer, you know, money system, something. It's all about the Bitcoin. They also make me a little nervous. A friend of mine's bank account got hacked via Venmo being connected to PayPal and going to, you know, their bank account. And so it, it freaks me out a little bit, I'll be honest, <laughs> the whole, you know, money app things. But does that have an impact in how you see PyShell funding an app where people just to click, click and yeah, send well, you I'm, money? Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, we raised our money and we knew we were going to build out the back end of the platform and add a lot of functionality. And I took one look at my CTO and I said, we need Bitcoin on this thing. So, you know, we're, we absolutely look at those types of things and we, we need it to be progressive. We need it to be easy, but we also need it to be secure um, because, you know, at the end of the day, while, you know, we highlight the stories at the core of it, we're a fintech company. Um, and so we are a financial technology. And so we take that very seriously and we have to look at the security behind it. Um, and it does. It changes like the wind. I mean, a lot of people might not know that Venmo is actually owned by PayPal. But, you know, it, and PayPal is actually really easy, but yet they use Venmo because PayPal isn't as friendly to some people as they used to be. And they, you know, they're, they're doing a little brand adjusting, as we might say. But um, we happen to use Stripe. It's one of the largest platforms in the world. Um, it's very secure. But no, we're, you know, our, one of our advisors is into the ICOs and, you know, and the cryptocurrencies and things like that. And blockchain is something that's very, very big and something that is huge in food in general. Um, we, we partner with uh, Terra Accelerator, which is uh, one accelerator based out of San Francisco with Rabobank again and Rocket Space or Rocket Hub, which is one of the great accelerators there. But, you know, when you look at blockchain and being able to scan a tomato and know exactly what field it came from and things like that, that's phenomenal. And we want to, you know, incorporate that into PyShell as well in, in the sense of uh, as much transparency as physically possible because that you know, if you put it out there and it's super transparent, then you've taken the questions away that people have about you, your business, your company, but also you can see where things are coming from and there's less chance for, you know, nefarious things if it's just out there. And so, you know, we want people to know where their money's going, how it went there, what it's being used for, and we want that level of transparency. And we, you know, and we have, we take security very seriously as well because we don't, you know, we don't want to be the ones that are hacked like, uh, you know, and money. Yeah, it's it's people's money. Yeah. And it's, you know, and one of the things we tell people is, you know, I mean, at, at the core of reward-based crowdfunding, you know, your contribution level, I mean, the average median contribution is $50. And when you think that, you know, that's the largest contribution number you're going to get is $50 increments, people go, oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it matters. Those people are going to vet you 
harder than a $100,000 guy. I mean, I cannot begin to explain it. I had a check for $100,000. He gave it to me within 24 hours of finding out that I was raising because he knew what I did and he didn't have to ask the questions. But the people, I had someone who talked to me for a week and a half through the platform and wrote me a check for $500. You know, and the guys on our platform, we want them to be as transparent as possible. We say share every social media, share your website, share your location, share who you are. I mean, because our stories are critical, um, you know, because you want to know where that money's going, especially today. People really care where they're putting their money and they want to believe in the people that are getting their money. So we have huge founder bios and I understand that the UI gods do not like me, that they can take away and you can end up on someone else's Twitter platform, but I want you to know who you're contributing to. If it's $10 or $250, I want you to know that you believe that that money has gone to someone that you agree with. And it could be, you know, a political viewpoint. Um, our nonprofit partner is a phenomenal organization here in New York called Emma's Torch, and they teach culinary skills to refugees. And 1% of our 6% fee goes to them. And when the refugee crisis happened, we were already partnered with them, and we shared a blog that they put out, and we had people on our social accounts saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And I said, well, this is what we stand for at Pie Shell. And if that isn't something you believe in, we absolutely respect your position, but we're not the right platform for you. And, you know, people sometimes want to just take money from anywhere. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier. And that's not the way we're going to roll. That's not the way we want this company to be. And so, you know, we definitely do take a look at that stuff. Crystal, what types of things are you hearing from your restaurant customers about technology and, and features that they want I'm sure they're full of suggestions. Yeah. Well, we had the first restaurant ever asked for to accept payments on their website through Bitcoin. So we'll wait for the second one to ask before we actually consider it. You could tell them that it's on progress. <laughs> yeah. R&D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the roadmap. Um, I think one opportunity that's interesting, and we've um, heard, you know, we kind of had to, pe uh, we have to like piece it together. I don't think... Uh, I don't think a restaurant isn't specifically asking for this, but there are pieces of it that have alluded to it as I think um, more like conversational technology and helping them facilitate that is something that is is important and is becoming more of a thing because people are sending them messages on Facebook. You know, there are uh, messages coming through like Yelp. And um, I think it's I think you should be able to text a restaurant. You know, <laughs> is your kitchen still open? I'm now. I'm at a concert. I left my wallet there. You know, I can't call you. So I think that doing helping restaurants facilitate that conversation, um, because that conversation is happening now on technology. It's just weird how you don't talk to restaurants after you leave. You have such a great experience when you're there, and then you just don't have a relationship it's, with them after. It's you leave. also difficult sometimes to talk to them before you get there. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we always fascinated me about most of the Momofuku empire <laughs> is it's impossible to talk to a person. Yeah. You make relations online. So, you know, you're either, you're not engaging with someone or there's no one to engage with. I don't know that people ever pick up the phone. You can't, if they don't take reservations, you can't call the restaurant and get a person on the line and say, how long is the wait? It's just no talking. Doesn't no sound, talking doesn't at all. Doesn't sound very hospitable. Yeah, it's fascinating, but it seems to work just fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
well, I think that I think a restaurant like like that is is a little bit of an outlier, but I do think helping restaurants be able to just facilitate a conversation in one easy, seamless way, um, I think is a, a big opportunity. I don't. I'm not saying that that's happening for us yet. Maybe, but um, but I think I think it it would be great. So I'm just ask a couple of uh, quick questions, and then we'll take uh, questions from the audience. I um, had an I, I get emails and messages through social media channels frequently from people who are not in the food tech business. Mostly, they're interested in food in the food business somewhere around restaurants, and they're interested in moving into what they perceive as being the really modern, Tomorrowland, exciting world of food tech. And they would be really happy to buy me a drink, meal, cocktail, coffee, um, and sit so that they can pick my brain and ask me questions, and I can help them figure out how they can make some sort of transition. So the most common questions that I get from people in this forum are, do you need to be able to code to work in a food tech business. The second one is how do you get started? Like how do people get started? No, you do not need to be able to code. You need to be able to hire someone that can code and pay them. Um, and then how do you get started? Uh, my husband tells me all the time, it's the same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. You just, you start. Um, you just, abs for me, the, honestly, the hardest part of starting the business was deciding to do it. Once you've actually decided this is what I'm going to do and you've dared to dream that dream, and I, it's quite exclusive to food. Um, I've worked in technology for a long, long time, but if you're in the food tech space, there are so many phenomenal people that want to help you. And um, at the end of the day, just ask. Ask for help. Ask for support. They are asking you. You know, you probably answer more than you, you know, really should. Um, you've been wonderful to us, you know, at Pie Shell. I mean, we were on your podcast. And, I mean, we, there are so many people that when you reach out and actually ask them, they will help you. And they will give you someone else and someone else. And just take that all on board. Take all that information and just try and stand up and get one foot after another. But, you know, just little things at the beginning, you know, get yourself a social presence. I mean, we stood up a landing page in all of our social sites over a year prior to PyShell actually launching so that we could build a foundation and build a community and start to get that out there and start to get them excited about us coming. And, you know, it's just really networking. You know, I was on CNN and everyone's like, how'd you get on CNN? I was nice to my doorman one day, you know. Um, he's also an, he's now an investor in PyShell, but, you know, communicate, get off your phones, talk to people. Our, our very first newspaper article was because I was in a coffee shop half a block from my house, and he's like, where do you live? I'm like, over there. He goes, I live over there. We found out we're in the same building. We had no idea. Talk to people. I mean, get out of your own insular way and actually, if you've got this great idea, you know, believe in it. Believe in yourself and know that we're all there for you. Talk to people on the subway. Talk to people waiting in line for that cookie, you know, I mean, just really engage with people because the number of people that you know, like, 
my doorman used to work on Wall Street who introduced me to someone on the floor who's the most photographed man, and then all of a sudden I'm on CNN Money and talking to CBS, and I mean, all because, you know, he's a really wonderful guy and we're friends. Just really engage people and just try and so get going. Just talking. Yeah, low-tech talking. Take it old school. Yeah. And while you're talking to those people, just make sure you and your best friend aren't the only ones that think you have the best idea in the entire world, because that happens often where people don't spend enough time talking to people outside of their network. Um, as often as I like to connect, you know, with people that are entrepreneurs and other amazing uh, people that are from different industries, I also like talking to people that don't like me necessarily or don't believe in me or are critics and always are telling me I'm doing something wrong one way or the other because it's those people that will really dig into your business. Um, and I often have done that with cousins that I've, I've always had some kind of weird rivalry with and they've always told me the truth and it's actually helped and it's benefited me. So um, talk to everyone, but definitely look and seek for people that don't necessarily always believe in everything you're doing and that sunshine isn't just popping out of your butt, you know? Yeah. So. Um, I have a little bit of a contrarian view to yours, but um, I actually... Talk to people? No, no, no. Well, <laughs> may, maybe. <laughs> but but uh, um, I actually do think it's important to really to kind of understand how, you know, to code something and understand how it works and just the basics and really be able to, like, communicate in that way. Um, I think you... Or you get a, a lot more respect from like the engineers you're trying to hire and, and you can get a lot. I think it's important to really know the basics. Um, and I think it's really helpful if, it, if you're trying to build like a technology based business to be able to communicate in that way. Um, and then I, I mean, for me, I mean, it's almost like we fell in or I fell into the company. It was really just being focused on like the customer and the product and what we were creating and solving the problem. But I do think one of the best things that you can do is get um, someone to uh, pay for your product before you start calling it um, a company and creating a company. Because, I mean, you don't, there's no other great validation than that. So really quickly, are you a food person or a tech person? Quick, visceral, rapid fire. Food person or tech person? Tech. Tech? Food. Tech. Oh, very clever. And it all comes back to marketing. <laughs> that was very good. Good. I'm, I'm almost mad that I didn't think of it. Like, that's how good it is. I'm mad that I didn't say it first. So I think that that's a pretty good um, sort of baseline about what companies are about and their points of view and where they time to open it up to questions from Thank you so much for sharing your incredible insight and stories. I'm curious on more of an analog level if in the process of creating your businesses, if you went a more traditional approach and created a business plan and had all of your financials like thought out beforehand, or did you mostly just do customer interviews? Like, what was that very initial "I'm going to do this and" process or step for you? 
I will always admit I have never written a business plan. So um, everyone's like, you have to have a business plan. I've been doing this for four years. Not one person has ever asked for my business plan. Now, having said that, I absolutely have all the foundational elements of a business plan. Um, for me, I used to be a senior project and program manager. So I am such a project manager that, you know, give me nine women one month each, we have a baby. So I have to be very careful. Um, but I absolutely believe in process. That's how we focus on pie shells, so I do have the foundational elements. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do social, where is my customer? Not where do I want to be, where are they? Where do they want to be reached? You know, how do I communicate? I absolutely have a five-year projection. I absolutely have a marketing strategy. So I have all the elements. Did I put it into a 20-page document that is a living document that I have to constantly go back and update? No. Um, you know, we did go for funding, and we are in the rounds of of funding, so I do have a pitch deck, you know, which was probably the thing that caused me the most grief because I would send it out to 10 people and 50% said they'd be embarrassed to see it and then 50% said they thought it was phenomenal um, until uh, my design UI team, um, who happens to be a charming robot here, they did it and now everybody loves it. But that's a very personal thing, a pitch deck, you know, that people love them or hate them. Um, but they're, those are, that's what I found has been more critical. But to put that together, to consolidate it into 10 pages, you have to have all those elements. So those are the foundations we used. Yeah, same. I didn't write a business plan from the get-go just because I, um, have you know I've had a lot of friends that have had startups and through their you know through their experiences I learned that um, pivots happen and so having a plan and just um, sticking to that plan from the get-go is not necessarily going to happen so for me it was the same thing just making sure I had most of the elements um, and even today you know we didn't have a marketing strategy last year because it wasn't necessary for us um, at that time and that's something that we're working on this year because we know that that's what's going to help us drive our business um, forward. We were very sales heavy last year. So um, I think it just depends on you as a person and if you are very process oriented and you know where you want to go from point A to point B, um, it may or may not be necessary for you as an individual and a business. Yeah, I think, you know, same same thing. Um, not writing a business plan but having all of the pieces in place and the the way that I got to that was um, building the product, seeing how much people would pay for it, taking that amount that I learned that people would pay for it, and then putting that together with like how that would you know flow into growth projections and and how we would get to the next level. For what it's worth, just as a sidebar, I had a non-tech restaurant and and I didn't have a business plan either. And the way I progressed my business was each time I had a meeting with a potential client and they asked me what my retainer was, my monthly fee, I would say the biggest number I could say with a straight face in the meeting. And each time I had a meeting, I just kept saying a bigger and bigger number. And it was always fine. But it, had to, it, it was the confidence of the delivery What's my retainer? Well, it's this much. Okay. And then on to the next one. So, not very scientific, but applicable. Hi. Um, you guys talked a little bit about your past and how you got here and projecting towards the future. Um, but 
you've come this far. I'd like to know what are some, like you say, some of the pivot points or turning points or inflection points where you, you see, because you did that, it could be big or small, you, you, you're here now talking to us about your company. So maybe some lessons that you learned, personal ones maybe, that brought you here. Thanks. So for me, I was really, uh, you know, adamant on sticking to the online ordering platform model. Um, first, it was with food trucks, and it was with restaurants, and I, you know, really saw that I wanted to be the Robin Hood of the online ordering world. Um, and I had to come to terms with this, this, you know, what I talked about earlier. If it's not driving enough value for the businesses I'm working with, then you have to move on. It was a really hard place to move from because we had growth. It just wasn't substantial enough. I wasn't seeing revenue growing into actual profit. Um, and so if that, that was for me, like that was the point where I saw if this revenue is growing, but it's not growing enough to actually give you money to reinvest in the business, um, then think about something else. And again, having to go back to the drawing board, talking to our customers. As I think about our growth, the, the one thing that I love doing is every few months going back and talking to our customers and seeing what they want, what they don't want, um, so for me, the pivot really came when I was looking at our growth. Um, and even if it was good enough, it wasn't the hockey stick, but it just wasn't enough for me to feel comfortable. And, you know, I saw all these other companies every other day, there was another, you know, online ordering platform starting. It just was too hard to fight. Um, and so for me, that pivot really was at that point where I just realized like, if catering is something they need more help with, well then let's go in that direction. The mission is still going to be there. You're still going to be able to provide a great uh, service and value. And 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 so for me, that pivot really was hard to get over because as a founder, you're always just like, oh, I was right with my first, you know, thing that I created. It was genius, and it really wasn't. You know, maybe it was something. It was time to move on. So for me, it was that point, um, and just talking to myself a lot. You know. <laughs> yeah. For for us, what it was is. Um, one of the things you hear, and I think we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, is that when you're a tech company, you're supposed to follow the Silicon Valley model and go out and raise all your money, then you build it. Um, that didn't work for us because um, everyone's like, "What? What are you doing? Why would I do that?" And it, you know, raising that initial funding with just an idea, um, vaporware, for lack of a better word, was really hard. And so, I was a very stereotypical entrepreneur that I was working a full, you know, 40, and I was a consultant, so it's the professional 40, which is more like 60, hour work week, and I was pie-shelling in the middle of the night and all weekends and all, all the time, and that contract came to an end. And I absolutely hyperventilated, and I'm like, because I was the principal breadwinner in my family, and I thought, okay, now I need to find another contract, and I'm not going to be able to pie-shell it, and this isn't going to work. And my husband and I were driving, we were in the process of relocating permanently to New York because I'd had a client here. And so I had been living and working here and he was in Michigan. That's a different story. But we were driving back to Michigan and it's like a nine, 10 hour drive. And I drove for three hours before I could even tell him that my contract was ending because I thought this is it, he's gonna freak out, you know. And I told him and then it was six hours of silence in the car. And we got there, and then the next morning, he woke up, and he looked at me. He says, so you're going to do pie shell full-time now, right? And I'm like, that's an option. And he said, I think so. And we sat, and we had a phenomenal conversation, and I had an incredibly supportive partner, and we pulled out a little, little budget, and he's like, I think you can do it. And 
so from the time I started full time, I mean, I, we decided at the beginning of June, I was going to do it full time. In July, I pulled the trigger and I went online. I found a CTO. I already had a design company and we launched it in October and we launched an MVP, which if you haven't understood what that stands for, it's minimal viable product. And I launched on October 1st and I had an MVP party, which was actually for most valuable people um, because there are so many people that will support you in this mission, whether they're companies that provide services because they believe in what you're doing or whether it's friends and family that you've, pardon the expression of earlier, shit all over because you've stood them up so many times and, you know, blown them off and all of that. And so that was really important to us. But by actually being able to, you know, just really put that one foot in front of the other and doing it full time was something that for us, it really changed the course of our, of our path. And it put something out there. And then we had something that people could see. And people were like, oh, you've proven your concept. And the thing that I tell people all the time is the person that I proved it to that mattered the most was me. Because I absolutely believed in it. But good God, you know, we used to say in SAP land, which is the software I installed, there's no test like a go live. Like, turn that thing on, see what people are saying, see what they're doing, see if they're using your solution, you know, see if this is something they really want. You can be all in and you need to be all in. You've got to be like so in your crazy. But when people are really using it and getting satisfaction from it and you see their business like... This woman, the very first company that launched with us, she's tripled her revenue since as a result of the project. She absolutely attributes it to us and helping her get out there. I mean, I could, I could stop it today and I would have the success that I wanted from this business. It was never about the exit. I didn't even know there was such a thing as an exit when I actually started. I just thought, I'm going to build a company, run a company, hire some people, help people get to the next step. And, but for, for us, that's really helped, being able to really go all in. So, and it was scarier than hell, but we're so happy we did it. Got one little one and then one medium-sized one. The little one is, uh, you know, uh, BentoBox is a monthly subscription uh, service. And um, sometime in two, we, website has, you know, two modes. It's either live and launched or it's not. And you're, you know, adding menus, you're getting it all ready to go. Sometime, and sometime in 2015, um, well, up until then, we had been starting collecting that monthly fee when they were live. And sometime in 2015, we're like, we should collect it before. <laughs> and uh, and I think we thought we were going to get pushback. It's not live. I don't know what, what we were thinking. And we started collecting it before. And nobody said no. And then it went like, whoosh, and then people were like canceling less. They would flake out less. And there was like more momentum. And I was like, oh, this is this. We're so dumb. And, and then the more, the, so that was one thing that was really helpful. And then the kind of bigger thing um, is a, a big part of running Bento Box for me is about becoming uh, like a leader and how do I become a better leader. And um, I, I found early on, and I think that's this is changing now, but there weren't really good examples of what someone who, you know, looks like me, has my background, is my height, like sh sh what type of leader that person should be. And I was trying to model my leadership style off these examples that just really didn't work for me. And I, and I, it, I, was, I, was, I don't think I was being a good leader because I wasn't being myself. And um, I started just really thinking about like the type of person I am. And, you know, I have this product background and really just started like leaning into that. And then, um, you know, I'm pretty introverted. I, 
actually don't like talking to people that much. And I started finding ways to like make my team do a lot of that work and putting the spotlight on them. And it just became such a much more authentic situation that I really think that uh, a lot of our growth started happening when I just started, when I realized that. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. Thank you guys all for coming and, and talking to us. Uh, I have a question for Crystal. Um, uh, all of you have like uh, said this notion of having like a proof of concept before you just raise money and start a company. Um, and in a perfect example, that would give you like a little bit of sales and like you mentioned having, you know, being able to sell something before you can just go off and start a company. Uh, like in that process, it would be a perfect linear, linear relationship of like a little bit of sales gaining a little bit of revenue, being able to hire the next person. But at some point, uh, I would think like that has to hit a bit of a staircase where you need a capital. Um, yeah, it was, um, it's a really good question. For us, it was around um, 2015, like early 2015, and uh, I, you know, I was, running it on my own and and you know it was really just the we had like 50 restaurants but really that money was really just not it was just getting to the next getting us to like the next point and the next point and we weren't really we were really reactive and not proactive and then when I say we you know now my the person who's now my co-founder and CTO was working on this on the side and I had like my little brother's like best friend kind of interning and freelancing who became our first employee and um, it it really I knew something needed to change to really bring this all together because the way it was going it wasn't sustainable and I also really thought we had like a good product and we just needed to be able to just reach more people and go a lot more quickly and so um, you know I was a terrible fundraiser I I had a really hard time raising money. And nobody wants to fund uh, a company that sells to businesses that has like have really low margins and, and a really high closure rate. So it, I had a lot of challenges. But, um, but then we got into Techstars and, um, and, and that really helped. And we didn't get a lot of money out of that, but it really helped bring the team, which was like the, three, the two other people that I mentioned, together. And, get us all focused on the same goal. And, and from there, you know, everything else just started happening. And then we raised like a real round, a seed round after that. We just recently did our A like six months ago. And, and you know, it's gotten easier every time. I'm, I'm going to jump in and just offer a completely different answer. Not as a person looking for funding, but as a person who interviews people who fund. Um, my first guest of the year was a venture group in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, the first venture group there, Charlie O'Donnell. He's really fun. He was a great conversation. He's really only interested in pre-seed funding, and he's really interested in talking to people at the very beginning of their business and wants to see people even pre-product when they're at the very, very early stages. Um, 
I don't know why, but that's his point of view, and that's where he thinks his best in, inroad is and, and his opportunity. So that's a completely different completely different point. But, you know, all money, as we know, has different requirements attached to it, so it depends on what you're looking for. But understanding the profile and the, the action that you're going to get from a certain entity, you know, there's someone to fund you at every step of the way, even sometimes before you, you have anything. Well, I did, I came up with the idea sitting on the back patio with my husband and, you know, of September. And then in February, I launched our beta to find out why they were failing on the other sites. Um, so, but that, that's kind of the way I roll. Like, I'm, like, if I decide I'm doing it, I just do it. <laughs> so, um, and then we stood it up for a year and then purposely took it down, took all that finding. And then we actually rebranded ourselves and that's uh, when we went from being called Fun to Feast to Pie Shell um, and then you know worked on that did focus groups but then to the point earlier of when I decided I was going in full-time I decided we were going to launch the site in three months and I did um, and so it was just I took all that information and I launched it I think the biggest thing to understand is that it doesn't have to be perfect it has to really show what you want it to be enough. Um, I did feel personally very strongly that the look of the site had to be beautiful and it had to be functional and it had to work for them because, you know, it, it's like a lot of times you only get one chance to make a first impression and we all have seen those sites that you go to and you think this looks terrible and, you know, we didn't want that. But what we did is, you know, I had a wonderful CTO that made sure that a lot of it we do in the background. You know, I knew that on day one, it could be very, we Wizard of Oz that site because no one's looking behind the curtain, but it looked beautiful and it worked and they got the success they needed. They don't need all the functionality that some of the other sites were to do for us to prove that it's working. So, but from very, very first concept, it's been four years. So of, of when I came up sitting there going, I've got to do something different with my life because I didn't even know I was an entrepreneur. I just knew that every day a million ideas went through my head and I wanted to do something different with my life. So it's been just, well, gosh, it's, all, it's almost February, so four and a half almost. So. This is mostly for Crystal, I think. Um, so talking a little bit about your, your customer being restaurants and, uh, you know, thinking about uh, devil's advocate a little bit of the world bringing with them their own, their own consumer base and bringing a bunch of people with them. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of sell yourself and your company, you know, to somebody that's maybe doesn't have a big group behind them or doesn't have marketing efforts to drive people to their website. It's obviously, it, you know, it looks like you're doing a great job of running that site, but, you know, are, is there hesitation for those smaller people that, you know, I can't lose the whatever people are on Seamless or whatever it is, and do you guys have ways of 
I guess, kind of poaching those guests onto those sites and how do you, how do you navigate that, I guess? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when it comes to online ordering and reservations, those two specific things, um, we right now integrate with like OpenTable, Resi, uh, Reserve, and then Chow Now and, um, and like link out to other online ordering services, but we're not providing those directly yet. But, um, it, but I agree with you that an important part of us if we were to um, provide either of those services, we need to find a really smart mar automated marketing channel to be able to drive demand because we won't be able to compete with like these services that you're talking about if we're not answering that um, that piece of it. So um, anything from like, you know, I mentioned the text message, but if somebody, if we were gonna have a reservation platform, if somebody goes and books through one of the um, third-party services, being able to capture that data, which we do because they fill out the forms that are on the website, and that's the restaurant's customer. Why can't they like email them and get them, give them like a free drink if they book directly through the website? Just finding ways like that to be able to like help the restaurant drive demand, um, like email marketing, SEO, and so that they can build their own customer base and have a direct relationship with them. But that is an important piece to solve before we try to like replace incumbents like that. question for you Diddy um, you talked about about the social aspect of your business and how you are your goal is to add value to the community and the people that you're working with so I was wondering do you measure the impact that you have on these people or is there any way that you can show people especially the enterprise that you're reaching out to how much value you are you've been adding to the people that you're impacting yeah, I mean, so we, we do it on a monetary level. Um, it's the easiest way for us to quantify how we've impacted a business. Um, so we are capable of saying, hey, because of the, you know, the connections we've made, this is the amount of money we've been able to increase in their business and help their bottom line. Um, when it comes to selling to companies, the one thing that we say is um, how team meals impact um, their own community and how important it is for them to create an environment that's um, comfortable and interesting and is always providing something unique to um, the workplace. Um, so that, those are ways that we we are able to quantify and able to showcase like what's so important. Uh, when it comes to team meals, we always say, you know, bringing your community together, bringing people from the tech and the marketing team in one place to eat a meal at the same time is important because there are two teams that don't necessarily always interact. Um, so that's been important for us is to how do we showcase um, the value of the service we provide, but also um, bringing in these unique things. Because again, like I said, the vendor, for example, today, Austrian open face sandwiches is something that you can really definitely start a topic on because it's something that most people haven't had, right? So we're bringing these experiences to them to help them drive more value. Um, and at the end of the day, the quantification comes from the, the money that we're able to drive into those businesses on a regular basis.
Because we look good. How many people thought there'd be samples? There you go. That's what. That's one of the. That's one of the best perks. I had a guy come visit me today. He brought me chocolate samples. Yeah. So. We're hiring. I um, recorded a show today that will broadcast um, over the next couple of weeks, and it was uh, about a woman who works in, uh, she's a line cook at Roberta's, and she wants to get into the food tech space, and she wanted to know if she knew, needed to know how to code. And how does she do that? And how does she make that leap? So I had her on the show talking about her experience, and she brought her resume. And I had the chief of staff of a food tech company, Hungry Root, talking about what they were looking for. And um, one of the most interesting things that the chief of staff said, and they're currently, they have 15 on staff. They're hiring 15 positions. So they're going to double. They're going to grow double. She said it's more important um, at this stage for their company to hire people who are truly aligned with their vision and their philosophy and their mission, who really believe in the product, the thing that they sell, and the thing that they want to achieve, that is very critical and much more critical than the list of requirements that are on the job application. Um, you can teach people to code, as is apparent by the place that we're all sitting in. Um, but you can't teach people to be passionate about something or really love something or have a dedication and a drive. So it's those intangible things that are most important um, to them at their company, which I found to be very interesting. The other interesting thing that she said as advice for people looking to break into the food tech space, and I think it probably um, is good advice in any industry, a large percentage of the people who are applying for jobs at their company are people who are existing customers. They absolutely love the product. They eat it and order it regularly. They're so in love with it, they want to come and work for the company. I think typically most people who are looking for work or for opportunity, you think about what skill set do I have? What position would I fulfill? Let me start looking at open positions of that category and then see what those companies are, where are they located? I think that's sort of the natural process that most people would follow um, step by step when they're looking for opportunity. Her suggestion was to sort of reverse engineer it and Think of all the companies, and, and Cheryl said earlier, and I think everyone up here would agree, you actually, there are brands that you love, even if you think you're not a brand person or a consumer or any of those things. There are things and companies that you love. And she said, start there. Think about the companies that you like, the products that you like, and go there and then see what jobs they're hiring for and what opportunities there are, because maybe there's a place for you there. And if you go and work, at a company that has a product that you love, then you actually could actualize that piece of advice, which is, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Right? I mean, cliches are cliches because they're true. So 
I guess if there's no more questions, oh, we have one more. Zero. Zero. Um, I, I don't think about it. I mean, could Kickstarter squish me tomorrow? Of course. Is it, am I going to let that keep me up at night? Absolutely not. I'm going to just do what I do, do it the best I can, build the best company I can, support. But I, I think it kind of goes to the goal that we were talking about earlier. What's your definition of success? My definition of success is the fact that Richard, the founder of Screaming Onions, who had $62 in his bank account when he launched his project with me, is now in food service and in Whole Foods. Done. Drop the mic. Done. You know, I had an app company with me who raised over $15,000 who found out nobody wants his app. Couldn't give it away. So he took that information from the proof of concept of crowdfunding and listening to the crowd pivoted his product, and now he's the nutrition arm of CBS Chowhound and Epicurious and the New York Times. I mean, that is where I get my success from. And, you know, numerous people said to me when I started, they said, look, you cannot be afraid. And we tell this to people that crowdfund with us. So to your point of IP, they're like, oh, if I put it out there, people are going to see what I'm doing. And da, da, da. Everyone's heard the expression that if you ask a question, five other people in the room had the same question. With the greatest of respect, there's hardly anything out here that is so branch bank and new that someone else isn't doing it. But you are only going to do it like you. You're going to do it with your passion. You're going to do it the way you want. And if you're the one to make it, then go for it. I mean, and you have to believe in that. But don't, you can't not do something because of fear of someone else doing it because someone probably is. You know, you just have to believe in what you're doing and how you're going to do it and do it the best you can. Yeah, it's all about execution. Um, yeah, I think you think about it here and there, but I, d I also don't spend every day, any, any waking moment thinking about what somebody else is going to do to take over my business um, or take away business from me. I think th the thing that our customers love about um, the most is our service. And we did uh, a rebrand last year. And one of the things that they loved is that there was always somebody that I can talk to if I need to. Um, there's always somebody to answer my question, and it's very personable. Um, so I know how I want to grow my business and to what extent I want to grow it and how I want to scale it. Um, so I, I, I concentrate on the task at hand and how much more can I do today to add value to my customers. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I thought about that when I first started the business and I said, of course, everybody can do this, right? It's all about the execution. It's all about how you perform and, and how you move forward. So I'd say like 0.82% maybe. But I agree, like, it's, you know, everything is replicatable, rep, easily replicated, but um, you can't really replicate out, like, something is, like, making you feel, you know? So. Um. 
Um, you all seem to have gotten into this business to help the restaurants or to help the the part of the food industry. Um, so at at the core, you all seem to be a B two B business, um, but you all also have end consumers. How do you think about that as you grow your business? Are you consumer first strategy, or you think about your customers first? Or yeah, I mean, we know that we're going to look good if they make it. You know, like when I can incredibly proudly say that we have a hundred percent success rate, you know, crowdfunding, the lion's share of the work is on them. We just want to give them every tool to do it properly. And we actually incubate them through. So our model's a little different. We will not just let anybody launch on the site. They have to follow best practice. And if they don't, we won't launch them. Um, we don't vet their idea. I mean, I don't know if someone wants, you know, chocolate-covered crickets, um, but we're happy to bring them on board. Um, so, you know, we want the crowd to truly decide because that's what's going to get out there. But, um, you know, we we know that their success is, you know, we're very foundational. They One of the things I love about our name, Shell, is that we're supportive and we're foundational, but we are not the most important part. No one talks, you know, some people talk about the crust, but most people talk about what's in the pie. And so that's something that we take great pride in is their success. And, and highlighting that, we do quarterly, this is where they are now and what are they up to and how did they grow and constantly try and bring them to events and things like that and give them any opportunity we can so that they can shine. Yeah, same. I think, uh, Crystal, you were saying this earlier, just how you um, want to put the restaurants ahead of the brand of Bento Box, and we do the same thing. It's not food to eat that's bringing the food because I'm not the one standing in front of the you know gas all and fire all day, burning up my hands and putting naan into a tandoor. Like that's that person who's doing it, and so that's why it's so important for us to talk about these um, you know amazing, empowering stories and put them ahead of our own um, selves, so they know that it's brought to them by us. But at the end of the day, it's customer first. I, I think I was a little confused by the question. Is it about, like, are, does Bento Box um, care about, of course we care about, but, like, focus on the restaurant's guests or the restaurant? Is that Was that the question that you were asking? Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, it's if we want the restaurant to be successful, and that's that's the thing that we focus on, and 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 by way of doing that, we need to make sure that their guests are getting the best experience. That Otherwise, the restaurant wouldn't be successful. So, Okay, well, it is 8.30. We're going to thank everyone for coming out and spending your time with us tonight. I, before we go, I just want to, again... Cheryl Clements from PieShell, they're pieshell.com. If anybody has a budding business, you might want to get in touch with her. We have Deepti Sharma, foodtoeat.com. Um, if you don't like waiting in line, she's the person for you. And Crystal Mobayani, Bento Box, her website is getbento.com. And if you're a restaurant, call her. Thank you for coming. I'm Jennifer Leuzzi, Tech Bytes, heritageradionetwork.org live on Thursdays at 11 a.m., or iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Thank you for having us, General Assembly. Well, thank you for tuning in to part two of the General Assembly Tech and Food Panel. If you missed part one, you can find it at heritageradionetwork.org on demand or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify 
where Tech Bytes and all the other HRN shows are broadcast. If you like this show, come back and see us next week at 11 a.m. If you really loved it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and give us maybe what you spent on coffee this week. It'll help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, and this is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.